Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 100th episode of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast, the show where we dive in deep into the journey of business, entrepreneurship, and the mindset it takes to win. Today, I have on the show a very special guest, a man who needs no introduction, but let me tell you, it's my absolute pleasure to give him one. He has been speaking and impacting lives, sharing messages of positivity, motivation, and heart-driven success for over 40 years, longer than I've even been on the planet. Coming from humble beginnings, born in an abandoned building in a poor area of Miami and adopted at six weeks of age. But this did not stop him from persistently pursuing his passions, going on to become a radio DJ, television presenter, politician, best-selling author, winner of multiple coveted speaking industry awards and ranked as the top five speakers globally. His latest book, You've Got to Be Hungry, took 21 years to write and showcases his journey and never-ending passion and ability to skillfully weave his compelling life story into the fabric of our daily lives. It also uncovers some dark and dramatic times in Mr. Brown's life and tells his story, a story, some of these stories that have never been told before. I will be doing my utmost today to ask Mr. Brown some questions that he has never been asked before. And as with all my guests, diving deep into what drives his hunger for the hustle. As at 76 years old, he's still spreading his message around the world and helping others to hone theirs with his Power Voice program. As featured on NBC, PBS, Forbes, CNBC, and thousands of podiums, stages, and screens around the world, and right here, right now, live on the Hunger for the Hustle podcast, it is my honor and joy to welcome to the show Mamie Brown's baby boy, Mr. Les Brown. How are you, Jay? I'm great, and so are you, Les. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show. I'm so glad to be here with you. It's an honor to be here with you on your 100th broadcast. Yes, it's a very special day, and you've been bringing a lot of light to people who are experiencing a lot of darkness, giving people hope, methods, and techniques on how they can begin to create a life they love and live the life that resonates with who they are in their heart. So it's just great to be with you. You're just a good guy. Thank you. I do what I can where I am with what I have, and... Uh... I'm never satisfied. <laughs> oh, yes, fantastic. We take care of this, yes. No worries. Now, last time we spoke, it was September, and it was, in fact, my birthday, and it's something I won't forget because you were kind enough to sing happy birthday to me. But I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed, Les, because back then you were sporting a real fine flat-top haircut. Where's the door? My <laughs> kid said, you got to cut that thing off. <laughs> well, I thought it looked great. It got it, it, it got it as high as a foot. I mean, it was high, man. It was <laughs> I enjoyed it. There's a movie called Kid in Play, and I was kid, and I really enjoyed doing that. But it's a yeah. daddy, you're 76, you can't do that. See, 76, <laughs> you can do anything you want to do. <laughs> I think I think you're doing a lot of things that 76-year-olds uh, otherwise wouldn't be doing, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, I know one of your first mentors was Booker T. Washington, and one of the many things he taught you was 
develop your communication skills because when you open your mouth, you tell the world who you are. As I mentioned, you've been speaking on stages and screens around the world for over 40 years. Sorry, nearly 40 years. 52 years to be exact. 52 okay. years. Oh, yes. My math is a little off. <laughs> yeah. you, were, you were just a dream in your parents' mind. You are just a dream. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Now, I was wondering if you could take us back to your your first ever speech live on stage and what did that look like? How did it go? It, I, I had to speak at a school in Columbus, Ohio, East High School, and I had to speak to some seniors. And it was a, a nerve-wracking experience because I'd never been on stage to speak in that kind of forum. Being a radio announcer, you're talking to people that you can't see. But going on stage and being able to hold the attention of students and deliver a message that can inspire them and that can give them a larger vision of themselves and that can help them to begin to realize they're molding now what they will be in the future. That's a different strategy in your content and how you present it and the experience that you want to create with them. And so it was nerve-wracking. I was nervous but I decided to let that nervousness drive my energy and how I connected with them and created a bonding and, and be able to release them to begin to pursue their goals and dreams in the face of the adversities that they would be facing in this thing called life. So at the same time, it was also very rewarding. They gave me a standing ovation for the first time. And I was thrilled by that. And the rest is history. I've been speaking for students and people around the world, major corporations, Fortune 500 companies, 50 uh, companies, the top 50 companies in the world. And it's been an exciting journey for 52 years. Yeah, what a journey. You said there, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I had that in mind anyway, that you got nervous, you know, it was nerve wracking before you spoke. Do you still get nervous today? And if you do, how do you manage that? Yes, the, I do get nervous because each audience, they have their own personality. What I do before I speak to any audience, I do research. The way I got a breakthrough in this area, it was the good old boys network and nobody on the stage, as you could imagine, looked like me. And so what gave me a competitive advantage they were giving information. When you speak and give information, that only impacts two areas of the brain. I led with a story about my goal to buy my mother a home. When you use a story, that impacts five areas of the brain, including the area of your brain that creates a chemistry that you feel and experience when you are in love. The speaking industry to this day is governed by the Dale Carnegie course, which is a great course. They teach, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. I have a mentor named Mike Williams. He's been my mentor for 52 years. He said, Brownie, if you want to become successful as a speaker, he said, never let what you want to say get in the way of what your audience wants to hear. And all that getting, get understanding. Ask key questions and find out 
what it is that they want to hear that will make them look good. The unspoken conversation. And then strategically create an experience with your story that will distract, dispute, and inspire how people live their lives as a result of the story they believe about themselves. Use your story to dismantle their current belief system and inspire them to create new opportunities for themselves. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like any job or task that you go into, you've got to do your diligence, you've got to do your research, and the more of that you do, you're going to be better equipped to take care of the task at hand and deliver, in, in your case, a fantastic message and get the job done. Thank you. Yes, it's it, it's it's really a very re rewarding experience when you can take an audience of people individually and collectively to a place within themselves that they can't go by themselves and create a shift on how they show up and give them the opportunity to begin to create a new way in which they not only look at their lives, but how they are able to produce and do more and accomplish more. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's all about, you know, doing and accomplishing as much as you can with the time that you have and maximizing everything, even maximizing uh, your downtime. I know your, your son, John Leslie, that's something that he says, maximize your downtime. And we've got a lot of us have had a lot of downtime in the past 12 to 18 months. And uh, maximizing it is something I know, I know I've done, I've seen you do. And uh, I hope that all our audience have been doing the same as well. Now, I've studied and listen to you for many years, there's no doubt about that. In your latest book, You've Got to Be Hungry, I was blown away by some of the stories in there because I thought I've listened to every single YouTube video out there. I know all the stories. Nuh -uh. There's some stuff in there that just was never told before. And one particular story that stuck with me in there was one winter you moved from Miami to Ohio with $40 in your pocket one suit to a new radio job, uh, nowhere, no, no car, nowhere to sleep, and you actually ended up spending two weeks sleeping in the rubbish bin outside the back of the radio station. When I read that, I was like, that's absolute, just such a crazy and, I mean, really a traumatic thing to go through. What kept you from quitting and just going, I'm going to quit this job, I'm just going to go back home to the warmness of Miami? I kept thinking about the fact, and I tell people this, your why. Nietzsche said, if you know the why for living, you can almost, you can do almost anyhow. And I kept thinking about, I'm going to buy my mother a home, no matter what. And I focused on that this is what I must go through in order to accomplish that goal. I didn't focus on how cold it was, how it smelled, how uncomfortable. I didn't focus on that at all. I held the vision of why I was there. I was on a mission. And I think you have to be on a mission in this thing called life because, Jake, hey, this thing, it, it's not permanent. Life has no duplicate. And you only get one. And you want to maximize it, as you said earlier, and get all that you can out of it and leave your imprint. And part of mine has been to, one, to take care of my mother. I did uh, until she passed at 89 to buy her a home. And I accomplished that. And to live a life that 
would outlive me. And I do that in training speakers and, and teaching them how they can transform audiences' lives as I've been doing for 52 years and to make their imprint. All of us have the ability to do that. Every voice has a certain frequency. There's some people I'm going to reach, but there's some people that you are going to reach. And so the ability to train people that will go into a future that I will not see, is exciting to leave a legacy. That's what I think we're all here to do. We came here with a package in us that we showed up to give to the world. And most people take it to the cemetery with them. There was a guy named Reverend out of Nassau, Bahamas, Miles Monroe. He said, rob the cemetery of your gifts, of your talents, of your abilities and your skills and your dreams. And But most people, they take them to their graves with them and never reach for them because they're not even aware. They've not taken time for self-discovery like you have. They don't even know who they are, why they're here, and what they're supposed to do. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in our lives, the day that we are born and the day that we realize why we were born. Mm, yeah, it's, I'll never forget the first time I, I read those words, commit to creating a life that outlives you. You know, and why not? Why not? You're only here once, so you might as well do something with impact that is left here when you're gone, you know, whether that's through the legacy of your children, books you create, audio that you're putting out onto the internet, which isn't going anywhere, it's going to be there forever. You know, like you said, you're only here once, there's no duplicates, so you might as well make the most of it and, and make as much impact as you can in the time that you have. So there's something, you know, another thing I've heard you say, you know, what will people say about you when you've gone? You know, the average person leaves this world and they spoke about it for two or three weeks and then, you know, things things move on. That's not certainly not how I want to uh, envisage me, myself, when I'm gone. You know, you want to create that legacy, leave impacts, leave footprints on, on, on the world and uh, leave some of the things that you learn for other people to learn in the future. Yes. It's, it's true what they say, and I know you love saying this, it's always a treat when great people meet. And it's, it's great to spend some time with you here today, of course. Now, we originally met in the Power Voice program, a program for anyone who doesn't know what that is, who's watching. It's a program created by Les and John Tallarico. It's a complete, comprehensive, and a, a lot of fun, actually. It's a lot of fun to be a part of a program where Les teaches hungry people, and you've got to be hungry to be a part of the program, I'll tell you that, <laughs> how to find their voice, hone their message, and deliver it to the world uh, and I'm really grateful for what I learned from you in that course and the opportunity that you gave me to speak at the inaugural Power Voice Summit. Yes, the summits that come from this program, which is fantastic. And for just all the connections and friends I've made for it, made from it. Now, Einstein once said, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. And I think that's a fantastic phrase. In the middle, difficulty lies opportunity. The Power Voice was only possible because of the pandemic. Now, that's an opportunity that was presented. What other opportunities have you seen that have been created by this earth-shaking event? The opportunities to create new economies, because with the with the pandemic, millions of jobs have been eliminated and businesses have gone under. 
So wherever there's a vacuum, there's an opportunity to fill that with something. And this is the time that one of the things that uh, Seneca said, that you must, in the darkness, constantly look for the light. And so when you look for the light of ideas of what can we do now, what are we going to do where we are now, and when we come out of this pandemic, what are the creative things that we can accomplish? And how is it that we need to reinvent ourselves to accomplish those things? Earl Nightingale said, as you're aware, that we don't get in life what we want, we get in life what we are. So this is a time for self-awareness, discovering who you are, self-reflection, thinking about your life up to this point and looking into the future and asking yourself what radical change must take place in me so that I can accomplish what I envision for myself. And hopefully it's a goal that's beyond your comfort zone because in order to do something you've never done, you've got to become someone that you've never been. And that's the, 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 the beauty and the power of having big goals because there's power in pursuit. Mm, I agree. I, I really agree. You know, there's the, the A, B and C type goals. The B, the C is something you know you can do. The B is something you think you can do. The A is something way out there, way out of reach. You have no idea how you're going to do it, but you know you want to do it. And you figure it out as you go along. I don't think there's... Of course, you know the B and C type goals. Maybe you want to buy a new car, but you've already bought one before. Uh, you want to go on a holiday, but you've already been on holidays before. I think the A type goals, the ones that are really out there, the ones you have no idea how you're going to achieve, that's where the plethora of growth comes in figuring them out along the way. Absolutely, because you don't need to know. You do what you can, and God will do what you can. That's why we're taught to walk by faith and not by sight. Leap and grow your wings on the way down. This God said, if you're not willing to risk, you can't grow. And if you can't grow, you can't become your best. And if you can't become your best, you can't be happy. And if you can't be happy, then what else is there? I like what Helen Keller said. She said, life is short and unpredictable. Eat the dessert first. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Always eat the pot. Always eat the pie first, especially if it's Mamie Brown's sweet potato pie. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't eat it with your shoes on. So good, you got to take your shoes off so you can wiggle your toes. Uh, brilliant. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. I know uh, something else that Mr. Washington told you. You know, he was a your high school teacher and one of the first ever people that really guided you in life was. OQP, only quality people. And the amount of friends I have told that to over the years, and they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, only quality people. And they're like, instantly, it just makes so much sense. It's, you can, it's one of those things you hear and you can identify with straight away. Now, you have a wonderful legacy of nine children and 15 grandchildren. And on that token, I'm sure you're no stranger to... And Five great grandsons. And five grand. I stand corrected again. I need to get my facts right. <laughs> All right. Yes. Five great grandsons, nine children, 15 grandchildren, and five great grandchildren. On that token, I'm sure you're no stranger to relationships, but I was wondering what do you think are some of the keys to maintain 
healthy relationships with solid foundations. One of the things that I think is very important, and you're asking somebody who's been divorced, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Even when you don't work well at something, you still have some insights. And so one of the things I think is very important is to honor yourself by being very, very deliberate in your vetting of the person and don't make a serious decision about being with that person until you had a, a just a straight up hard conflict and anger to get past. And that's when you see who that person really is. That's one. And the other thing that's very important is find out where they're going and let them know where you're going. Dr. Howard Thurman said the two primary questions that one must ask oneself in life. Number one, where am I going? And number two, who's going with me? And he said, if you ever ask those questions in the wrong order, you'll be in serious trouble. And I found out that's real. You hear about people growing apart because they weren't going in the same direction. And it's very important to find that out before you make a decision that this is going to be your life partner because that's going to be an issue. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll mental notes taken. <laughs> the words hunger for the hustle, you know, drive there in the corner of the screen. And I'll never forget the first time I heard those words from you. We were working together on the Power Voice program. I was asked to deliver a, a three-minute speech, you know, and, I, and I did that and gave it to you. I was very nervous in, in delivering it. And the first thing you said to me as soon as I was finished, you said, Jake, what's the title of your speech? And I sat there and I was like, I don't have one yet. (laughs) I saw you look down at your notes and you said, right, okay, hunger for the hustle. And I thought, how did he just draw that out of there? That's it. That's the one straight away. Gave it to me on a silver plate. (laughs) And I thought, that's it. That's, That's the one right there. And, you know, here we are just over six months later, 100 episodes deep into this podcast and Uh, The book's on the way. I believe the book will change the lives of millions, not only those who read it, but it's a a book with proceeds going to charity. It's a fantastic idea, and um, that will play out really well. In 76 years, though, you've you've never quit. You've been successful in so many areas of your life, and I'd love to know how you define the word hustle and what's driven your hunger for it. It's a hard-centered life. The book of life says, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. I encourage people to find out what's in your heart. Most people, they look at this world and determine how they're going to earn a living doing something to make money. And we all want to make money. But if you do something that's in your heart, when the tough times come, and they're going to come, It will give you a level of mental resolve that you won't have if you're just doing it for the money. But if you're doing something because it's you, because it's your calling, most people are prepped to go get a job. A job is what you get paid for. A calling is what you are made for. I did an interview the other day and the lady said she was apologetic. She said, I'm so sorry. 
It's been two and a half hours. I do apologize for going over. It was like two minutes to me. I had no idea how long it was because I was doing my work, the greater work, that which I was born to do. When you're doing something that you love, time goes by, but you're oblivious of it. And so you want to find something that you don't have to have an alarm clock to get up to in the morning, something that you forget about the time because it's you, something that you love it so much that you do it for nothing, but you do it so well that people will pay you to do it. That's it, living your calling, you know, and, and you have to take some time to find it. You know, it's not, uh, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't get just delivered to you, does it? You know, you've got to, the only way you're going to find your calling, find your passion is by trying lots and lots of different things. And I think particularly you're in, right. the, in the younger years of your life, in your 20s, your 30s, hey, even into your 40s, that's what it's all about, trying new things. And sooner or later, something's going to stick. For me, I found out much for like, you know, for yourself, it's speaking. It's using my voice to hone others. It's not a skill that everyone has. It's not a skill that everyone enjoys speaking to more than a, a small group of people, friends or family. But I find that I do. And you certainly find that you do. And I think if you've got a skill, why not use it? You know, you don't want to starve. the. Otherwise, the world, you're starving the world of your talent, essentially. And that's not fair to you. And that's certainly not fair to anyone else. You're absolutely right. Hmm. I got a quote here by Anne Frank. And I, I, I'd not heard many quotes from Anne Frank. So when I read this one, I was really interested. It says, parents can only give good advice or put their children on the right path. But the final forming of a person's character lies within their own hands. In your latest book, You've Got to Be Hungry, chapter two really touched my heart because you talk about your your, your two mothers, your, your birth mother and uh, the mother that gave you life and the mother that gave you love. Now, I, I really align with that because I'm a mommy's boy too. And I'm pretty sure my mom's watching and my dad's watching too if they've got the time zones right. So, hi, mom and dad. But... It, you know, no problems admitting that. I am a mummy's boy. No shame in admitting that. And I I think that, you know, one question I've really been burning to ask you, I know you were adopted at six weeks of age. Did you ever manage to track down your birth mother or father? Did you ever try to do that or were interested in doing that? I never had any interest in finding my birth mother. But I was curious to find my father, to find out what did he do? What kind of guy he was? What kind of profession was he in? I was curious about that because I think we pick up things genetically. Mm -hmm. And I see my kids and there are things that I have not taught them in speaking. And they do it very well. Some they picked up just watching. Some things are taught. Some things are caught. But then I met a daughter that I didn't know that I had, and she was living a life very similar to mine. And mm. so this thing called life is a mystery. So I wanted to find out, was he a good-looking guy like I am? <laughs> <laughs> Did he have a sense of humor? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I was curious. My, my children, my oldest son, he, he did this process called 23andMe, where they, they research your family tree. 
but he hasn't been successful, gotten close, but mm. it's not something that I'm overly excited about. My yeah. mother, Mamie Brown, who adopted us, we gave her a Father's Day card as well as a Mother's Day card because she was the person she served as a father as well. So we gave her a Father's Day card at Father's Day. Mm. And also what a tremendous job she did, you know. The amount of stories I've, I've read, not only in the book, but heard you speak about over the years, you know. So a lady who was um, challenging time, you know, not just a challenging time in terms of finances and, uh, and economy, but the, the, the place in which you live, which Miami at the time was, you know, a, a place of a lot of racism and a lot of oppression and, um, you know, but push, push through all of that to come out and get on top. And, uh, you know, it's like you say, you got to get to the top in life because it's the bottom that's crowded. Yes. Without any question, there's a reckoning going on in America now. Mm. The true character of America is being shown. And for those of us who've always known it for what it actually is, it's shocking to some people, some whites even, the younger ones. And Benjamin Franklin's quote comes to me. He said, nothing will never change until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are affected. The trial of George Floyd, there are white people who never ever believed anything that we said about police brutality and, and policemen being judge, jury, and executioner until they saw a life taken on television. One lady said it just turned her stomach to hear a man and to see a man take his last breath. She said she'd never seen anybody die in real life. And she couldn't sleep that night. And so this country is going through something. America is traumatized by that plus four years of the most insane leadership. No, no, we can't call it leadership. The most insane thinking that has been governing this country and been a, a national and international embarrassment. And so people are traumatized because every day there was some kind of drama. Something was going on every day. And it's going to take some time for us to put some distance between the releasing of that kind of divisiveness and hatred and strategic evil that we've endured for four years. It's going to take some time. Mm, it is going to take some time, like, but at least it's uh, it's changing, isn't it? You know, it's changing, like you say. Uh, you couldn't call it leadership. You could call it thinking. And now there's some new leadership and some new thinking, and uh, hopefully we see things change. Yes, things are, are, are going to get better. They're improving mm. as we speak. Yeah what we were experiencing didn't come to stay, it came to pass. It takes years to build something powerful and positive, but only mm. a few seconds to tear it down. 
absolutely right absolutely right the word greatness I, i'm not sure and i wouldn't like to assume for you but i would i'd hazard a guess it's maybe one of your favorite words the word greatness uh, i'm right yes <laughs> yeah. no need to no need to fact check that one i know that you you toured with dr norman vincent peel you know and he was up there in his, his years when you when you toured with him and you first met him by an opportunity that you weren't expecting when Org Mandino called you up and asked you to step in for him. And you went backstage and met Mr. Peel, uh, who's no stranger to the word greatness, of course. And if you look in the dictionary, it gives actually quite a boring description of the word greatness. It says the quality, eminence, or distinction of being great. I would love to hear how you define the word greatness, Mr. Brown, because I dare say you can do it a lot better than the Oxford Dictionary does. The way I position it is that when you're pursuing your greatness, you don't know what your limits are, so you act like you don't have any. Greatness manifests itself into pursuit of goals and dreams that's out of your reach because there's power in pursuit. Greatness is when you become intelligently ignorant because you don't know what you can't do. Greatness, people who are pursuing their greatness, they're always looking for ways that they can better their best. There's a hunger that drives them to continue to push and to reach higher. Socrates says a man's reach is to supersede his grass or what are the heavens for? And so people who are pursuing their greatness, they continue to push the envelope. They are reaching higher. They understand what Mustafa meant in Lion King. Simba, you are more than that which you have become. <laughs> <laughs> I just put it out there to the audience. If anyone has, I've left a little bit of time there for one, just one question from uh, anyone in the audience at the end. Um, but there's a, a particular a particular story, Mr. Brown, and, and I, I introduced this story to a friend of mine, a story that you tell. And I, I put this one on YouTube whenever I'm feeling a little bit tired, a little bit demotivated, and I need the pickup. And that story is, I know it's one you love to tell, about the first opportunity you ever got to appear on the radio, WMVN. I'm not going to say any more, but could you tell that, that story for us, please? Oh man! <laughs> Mindset and energy. <laughs> I was LB Triple P. Let's ride your platter playing Papa. There was none before me. There will be none after me. Therefore, that makes me the one and only. Young and single and love to mingle. Certified, bona fide, indubitably qualified to bring you satisfaction and a whole lot of action. Look out, baby! I'm your love man. I was hungry. <laughs> oh it's a great it's a great it's a great story and um yeah lb triple p your platinum playing papa it's just it's fantastic did you how long you must have had that prepared you had that prepared already in mind yes i you know i teach that it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared yeah no absolutely right absolutely right if uh, there's anyone that has any questions on the side, I'm open to them. If not, we'll um, 
I would just like to quickly say, and I've wanted to say this for a while, to express my gratitude for giving me, of course, your time today. It's been an absolute honour to host you and to interview you, an experience I will not forget. We've had a lot of fun here today, Mr. Brown. I've had fun, but I'm so embarrassed that I wasn't able to generate one question for you. I'm so (laughs) sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry, buddy. All right. Am I still your buddy, Jake? Yeah, yeah, no worries. All right. still, still, All I, got, right. I got a couple of facts wrong. You couldn't generate a question. We're even. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll come in. There's, a, there's always a slight delay on, on the side here, so mm-hmm. we'll see about that. But um, there's something I wanted to say to you, and that's, you know, that I think we've had, it's been a plum pleasing pleasure today as well as a privilege. I wanted to say that. And then you knew I was going to come with that. You knew I was going to come with that. But, there's something else that I wanted to say, and that's I think that, you know, you're 76 years young. Most people at your age are retired, spending the days perhaps on the beach, out in the forest, doing whatever they please, you know, but retired. It's evident that you still spend your days as you please, but you're living your passion and your calling as a speaker. And, you know, I'm, you've still got plenty of years left in you, no doubt about that. But one day, you know, everyone's time must come, but... You, I believe, will live immortally and forever in the hearts, minds and souls of every single person that not only heard your voice, but felt them in their heart. And I'm one of those people. And I just want to thank you for your service. Well, thank you for hearing my voice. And thank you for the commitment that you've made to live a life that will outlive you. Horace Mann said we should be ashamed to die until we've made some major contribution to humankind. And you've decided consciously to live a life of contribution and because of your decision the world is a better place because of your decision you're going to transform millions of lives what i've done is only a tip of the iceberg of what jake is going to do (laughs) thank you so much i truly truly believe that we have had a couple of questions come in if you've got time for the mr brown just two questions okay what is your hope for the future? My hope for the future is to train around 7,000 speakers how to become messengers of hope, how to teach people how to step out of their programming and how to deal with adverse circumstances and look for ways in which they can turn it to their advantage. I'll teach people how to navigate the disruptions of life, because life is full of disruptions and transformation and decisions. We make decisions and our decisions make us. And so I believe that we can change the culture of the planet and raise the level of consciousness and teach people how to turn to each other rather than on each other and create a brighter future for generations yet to come. I think that's a very heartwarming message that we can all align with and we can all agree that we can all work towards because it's it's an individual thing, you know, it's a collective thing as well. We all have to work towards what we want in the future and make it a brighter and a better one than today. The other question we've got is from Michael and he's a fellow Power Voice family member. What is the next big move what are you building right now let's say uh 
That's a good question. I'm doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching with people who want to establish a national and global reputation. And I'm doing it with a, a select number of people because it is intense in terms of training and one-on-one -on -one coaching because it's one thing to teach people in a group. It's something else when it's one-on-one. -on -one. It's just me and you. <laughs> and I can pour all my stuff into you and I can see you up close and personal and we can sharpen each other, iron sharpening iron. And so my goal is to train speakers. Any decent coach, all of his speakers will pass him. I've got some who have surpassed me already. And so my goal is to find my Les Browns like Mr. Washington and Mike Williams found and developed me. That's, that's what I'm on the hunt for. Somebody that's the one, someone that's hungry to go to that next level. I'm the one, sir. I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm yeah. telling you. We'll have, a, we'll have a quick chat about the maybe some one-on-one -on -one afterwards. But uh, I don't want to take up much more of your time. I know you're a busy man. I really appreciate you spending this time with me today. I really appreciate all you guys listening all around the world. A hundred episodes. Sometimes I can't believe it myself. I did it this, this quickly in less than six months. And, you know, guys, if you've enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and family. Stay happy. Stay healthy, stay hungry, and keep on hustling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mr. Brown. Thank you so much, Jake. I love you. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I love you too, brother. Thank you very much.